Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 30 of the Keith Law Show. I'm going to be joined today by my longtime friend and former colleague, Adrian Burke. He's with MLB Network and with DAZN. He has his own movie podcast called Cinephile. You can find Adnan on Twitter at Adnan S. Virk, V-I-R-K. Before we get to that, uh, just a little bit of house cleaning. I have had I had a couple of pieces go up last week for subscribers to The Athletic, another scouting notebook where I looked at some more debuts. Ian Anderson, D.B. Garcia, Clark Schmidt, Cabrian Hayes, all four of whom were top 100 prospects coming into the season. Also did a column towards the end of last week looking at what the proposed planned changes to the 2021 MLB draft might actually mean in practice. They've pushed it back a month. They're probably shortening the draft. They uh, have their deferring draft bonuses substantially, which amounts to players basically giving an interest-free loan to Major League Baseball owners. So there's a lot to look at. And I spoke to a number of scouting directors, what they thought about the plan, and also just interjected some of my own opinions. We'll get to my conversation with Adnan in just a moment, but first, here's a few words from our sponsors. Hi, I'm the Athletics' Joe Posnanski uh, for Indochino. You know, finding clothes that fit you just right can be incredibly challenging, especially for somebody like me who has uh, a body type I would call um, dumpy. It's tough to find anything that fits right. You know, I'm not really a large. I'm not really an extra large. I'm not really a double extra large. I'm not really anything. So it's obviously, it's fantastic. You go to Indochino, they have you uh, go through this entire fitting process where you give them basically every single bit of information that you have about yourself. Uh, you have every measurement you have, uh, who your favorite beetle is, uh, you know, what what uh, you believe about the infield fly rule. And uh, and then you come out and and they're, they're going to send you uh, clothes that are uh, that fit you really better than anything you could possibly get in the store. It's it's fantastic. Uh, with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, casual wear uh, at surprisingly affordable prices. Customize everything from the fabric and lining to the lapel shape and uh, monogram if you're a monogram kind of person. Uh, if you're getting married, Indochino is a no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget about the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everyone a tailored fit. Visit one of the Indochino showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now, you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code JOE at checkout. Look at that, JOE. It's for me. JOE at checkout. That's super easy to remember. You go to Indochino.com and the promo code is JOE. This is The Athletic's Shield Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV. Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. 
Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. Now it is my pleasure to be joined by my longtime friend and former colleague, Adnan Verk. Adnan is a broadcaster for MLB Network and for DAZN. He and I used to work together a small startup company up in Connecticut. I can't remember the name right now. I'm sure it'll come to me at some point. Adnan, it's good to see you again. Keith, it's great to see you. We thought we were going to be reunited on MLB Network. Yes. They said to me, we have an open chair. Who do you want? I said, get my man the law dog. We've got a book to sell. And then quarantine hitting us. I mean, listen, if COVID-19 has impacted everyone, of course it would impact us as I tried for an ill-fated reunion yes. on MLB Now. But Delaware on the quarantine list. Long story short, you tweeted a picture of us, sir, yep. as I tweeted as well. <laughs> and then people started saying, wait, what happened? Did you get the hook? Like This, this is like old school. You're on The Tonight Show, and then you get bumped. Yeah. Because Johnny went late with Bette Midler or <laughs> Dom DeLuise or whomever it was. So the, how many people did you explain to them? Like, listen, why, why is the Tribune adding it on set, but then you weren't on TV? Yeah, it was family mostly. I was telling family, <laughs> I'm like, forget it. Just turn it off. You're not going to see me. I was looking actually for a gong show gif, right, where they just like had the actual cane to pull someone <laughs> off. But apparently that's too old school of a reference. I, I couldn't find yeah. anything. Yeah. Uh, so the good news is we have baseball. We have we are still it is September 14th as we're talking. I was a pessimist. I did not think we'd get this far, but we have actual baseball. We have real pennant races. We have actual exciting playoff races and a lot of games every day that have a lot of meaning. So what, you know, let's start with this. What what games or specific teams, races are you most watching? When you go to flip on the TV or I, if you're like me on the iPad each night, what game do you try to look for? What team do you look for first? Well, I had such trepidation with all of us for this season. I remember texting you during the pandemic because I always trust your feel on things, and then your pessimism seeped him into my optimism, and then I just became cynicism. And I was like, oh, God, we, we have no chance here. Because you and Jason Stark, Kirchner, the lone voice, was not, this is going to work. And Tim is eternally optimistic. I said, okay, here we go. And Ravitch as well. But I think Ravi's tight with Manfred, so he was getting stuck. We're going to play this hell or high water. There's going to be baseball. So I found the first week and a half, as you'll recall, after that, that Marlin scare, you know, there was rumors percolating that, hey, this is going to be it. All right, we tried. didn't work out. And I remember thinking – if we can get to Labor Day, we might be able to a marathon. If you hurt yourself two miles in, I, my ankle is just shot. I'm not going to be able to do it. But if you get to 12 miles in, you go, well, I'm halfway there. Let's just get going. So I kept thinking in my head, let's get to Labor Day. We'll be all right. And then, you know, thankfully, listen, credit to the players, the coaches, the managers. Everyone's cleaned it up. There's been less instances, obviously. Um, we had 20, 21 days, no positive tests. And then the Giants-Padres game on Friday got banged. And I said, oh, God, here we go again. And it's a false positive. You go, all right, well, we'll keep this going. So. In answer to your question, I just am so grateful for the fact that we have baseball. It makes of a comment you once made when people say, should the season be shorter? And you said, why would I want the season to be shorter? Like, I love baseball. Like, what, why would I want 160, 154? Like, and Ron Rosillo made this point, too. He goes, listen, if you don't like baseball, would you be more inclined to watch baseball if it was 162 or 112? Like, if you're not into it, you're not into it. So it's fine. Like, if you don't watch, it's fine. And like, oh, I'd only watch a 60-game season? Well, guess what? 2020 is here for you. So if you just want a quick season, <laughs> congratulations. We trimmed the fat for you. Here we go. I wish more games. I wish we were still going longer. But there's been so many stories, as you said. I love the Padres. How can you not love their enthusiasm, their passion? Every single time Tatis is hitting, that's must-see TV. I love their dances in the dugout. Um, I love the fact that Cronenworth's going to win Rookie of the Year. No one talks about him. 
I like the move for Clevenger, who was obviously a, uh, an outcast in Cleveland for what happened with him and Zach Plesak. And, of course, as you know, uh, your former team you worked for and the team from which I hail from, the Blue Jays, I'm falling very avidly. Bo Bichette's their best player, in my opinion. He's now back. And it's been amazing to me, Keith, how different players have stepped up for the team. But then Lourdes Gurriel has been up and down. And then, obviously, he got hurt. Vlad Jr. at first base. Here's my thing. With trade deadline, which you and I used to do at ESPN, there's nothing worse. Mm-hmm. It's gotten diluted over the years because more and more teams are so much parity. Everyone says, well, you know, we're actually four games of the second wildcard spot. Yeah, but, but you're five games under 500. Like, you, you deceive yourself into the playoff race. Well, this year, I thought for sure teams would say, you know what? There's 16 teams making it. And the NL is a da- I mean, the NL is a disaster. Aside from the Dodgers, you go, God, I don't really know who I trust. And the Padres are fun. I don't know if I trust them. I don't trust the Braves with their starting pitching. So in the National League, aside from the Pirates, everyone's a mess. So I wasn't sure how many moves you're going to get. So I just love the fact that Blue just said, you know what? Let's make some moves. Let's get Robbie Ray. He walks too many guys. Let's go ahead and get Taiwan Walker. I remember calling in the Futures game, one of the first mm-hmm. times you and I met years ago. You're like, hey, watch it for this guy. And it was me, Booney, and Sutt calling the Taiwan Walker looks great. Teams are trying to make a move, trying to win. So the Padres and Blue actually are teams that I'm interested in. But I'll often go by pitching matchups. You know, I was in D.C. on Thursday, and my eyes just naturally go to the pitchers. So I go, okay, Max Fried is pitching. Great. Fried's like top five Cy Young. Oh, wait, Fried gets hurt. Oh, great. Now it's going to be a different matchup of <laughs> Robbie, Max Fried. But then you say, hey, we've got Soto. We've got Acuna. You've got Freeman. You've got Trey Turner, who could be the first shortstop 50 or higher to win a batting tail since Archie Vaughn in the NL. So. I just love the fact we've had a season, Keith, and I've savored it and appreciated the fact that even though it looks a little unsightly that the Tigers and Orioles are part of a playoff race, <laughs> and I'm really not big on expanded teams, I have a real difficulty on hockey that you play that many games and half of the team, more than half of the teams make the playoffs. This is the point of the regular season. I love the fact in baseball, 10 of 30, one-third make it. All right, fine, we're good with that. So this year, I'm, I'm not crazy about 16 making it. I laugh a little bit. The Giants-Dodgers first round. God forbid if San Francisco pulls off an upset. <laughs> You'll probably remember. By the way, I love the Archie Vaughn reference. But you'll probably yeah. remember it, one of my first uh, times, I just have a clear memory of opening up Newsday, the tape paper I got as a kid, and seeing it was close to the end of an NHL season. I think this would have been around 8081. And, of course, the Islanders were great, right? It was my local team. They were winning. I remember you were an Islanders. I meant to mention. Good luck. Your final four right Yes, now. which is amazing. Actually, it's, I, I have to confess, I've been so baseball consumed. I wasn't following sure. them. My uh, sister texts me and says, your niece wants to know who you're rooting for. I'm like, mm, what? Islanders were playing the Flyers, which is my brother-in-law's team because he's from the Philly area, too. And I was like, gotcha, I gotcha. Got, you got to tell the truth. I didn't actually know they were playing. I'm like so locked in on like it's all <laughs> baseball all the time. But yeah. I remember as a kid, the NHL at that point had 21 teams um, and 16 made the playoffs. It was like, <laughs> one, what right. is the point? And two, I actually felt bad for the teams that got left out. <laughs> like it was being like the like the least cool kid, right? You get picked last. You just go home. We don't right. even want you to play anymore. And I'm yeah. that's always my worry in baseball. Like, like you said, it's the thing that makes our sport unique among the four major sports at least, four major sports leagues, men's sports leagues, I should qualify that in the United States, yeah. is that we have fewer teams, a lower the lowest percentage of teams making the playoffs. We also have the longest regular season. So our regular season should, as a result, have a lot more meaning. And I'm just hoping, and it sounds like you feel the same way, this is a one-off, right? Let more teams in the playoffs. It's actually more money for Major League Baseball, which is, you know, generally we shouldn't care if Major League Baseball, like how rich are these guys? Who cares? Okay, this year we actually care. We want more money coming in because it keeps more people employed. Yeah. 
I hope we go back to the to the old system next year. That this doesn't just encourage Major League Baseball to say, "Hey, it's more playoffs is more teams in the playoffs, more rounds of the playoffs is more money." So let's keep doing that because I do think you risk watering down the regular season product. Yeah, the last thing I want is diluted talent. So you look at March Madness, people go, oh my God, I love the Cinderella. And not really. You like one Cinderella. Like it's nice when George Mason <laughs> beats Duke, but nobody wants yeah. to watch four teams they've ever heard of. Like there's a reason why Duke and Kentucky and Michigan and UCLA are big teams. So if one of them gets toppled, that's a pretty cool story. But if you have a bunch of four notes, nobody wants to see that. Baseball, not necessarily market size, but four like 500 or below teams, nobody wants to see that Cinderella run. I remember as you do, the 2006 Cardinals. And I'm like, they might be the worst team, worst World Series champion of my yes. era. They're an 83 and 78 win team. I go, like, come on. Like, I know you won, but no one's looking at you as one of the all time great champions. Yeah. So I, I, I have a little issue with it. It's been a horrible year for people. If that means more jobs, more employment, I'm with you. But uh, I really hope they keep it to 10 next year. And the, the rules for next season, I didn't think I'd like seven inning doubleheaders. It felt so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I got to be honest, with four kids, it's hard to watch. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what? if we can get this game in 215, I actually can be able to watch every season. has been great. I don't know about moving forward, but I've kind of enjoyed it more than I would like to admit. And the runner on second, again, feels a little gimmicky. But I understand the way the arms get used sometimes. Uh, our buddy Boog Shambi has been a big proponent for years. He's said, I don't need to see a 16-inning no. game in May. <laughs> Let's go. So I, I don't know. I think of the two, I don't think seven innings are going to stick around. I think that's just for this yeah. year. I think the runner on second has a chance of sticking around. They've had that in the minor leagues now for, I think, two seasons. I will admit to it is aesthetically displeasing, right? That's the purest in me. Also, there's been more yeah. than once where I've been in a game, you know me, you know, like I'm sits between innings, right? What do I do? I take out a book or something, right? It's going to take me, I got two and yeah. a half minutes. I can read for a little bit. And then I've looked up and be like, yeah. wait, did I miss something? What? Did he double? Like, <laughs> How did Mike did... truck it up? Right. Yeah. The first time that I absolutely remember, I was here in Wilmington watching the Blue Rocks against Winston-Salem. There was a runner on second. Micker Adolfo, the White Sox prospect, was up at the plate. I'm like, wait, how did he get there? And it took me a while. Like, it was processing, process. I was, like, running a 286 processor or something. It took a while. Then finally, it was like, ding. Yeah. Oh, right. That's what happened. Then Adolfo hit one out of the park anyway, and it was all kind of academic. But, like, yeah, I, I get it. If you're concerned about pitcher usage, obviously, that's something I harp on a lot. I get it. Yeah, that helps. The seven inning double headers thing. While I agree with you, there's three kids in the house now, and so we've always got something going. The fact that yesterday I watched most of 14 innings of Phillies Marlins because there were Marlins had Sixto Sanchez in the first, Braxton Garrett making his debut in the second. This yeah. was great for me. Um, it was like I got in a pretty reasonable day of work for 14 innings, watching 14 innings. Like I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that teams, I wonder if teams will get frustrated like seven innings. We didn't have a chance to come back. We didn't get right. into their bullpen. But for right now, I'm on board with that. So I'm with you. If, if I were ranking them, like, I want Universal DH to stay forever. Oh, yeah. When somebody tells me they missed the pitcher's hitting, I said, what do you find pleasing about someone hitting 128? Because right. that's what NL pitchers hit last season. And the strikeout yeah. rate, I've had by leave 40%. So yeah. we already have enough strikeouts in the game. Why right. the hell do I need to watch that? Like it's the I never understood this. I never understood the appeal. Oh, just the pitch you're hitting is it's really not. It's yeah. actually a terrible yeah. idea, and it has been for a long time. Well, everyone says, "Oh, you know, Madison Bumgarner hit four home runs in a season." I'm like, right. I get it. Those are fun. I had to yeah. wade through two thousand strikeouts to get to those oh. few home runs. And like you said, there, this, you know, I I share the worry that there's sort of a systemic problem of too many strikeouts, not enough balls hit into play. 
Uh, yeah. Too many strikeouts and maybe too many home runs just as a total. I, I find that less of a problem. It's just more that, um, to me, it's more that too many of our runs are scoring on home runs. It's not that there are too many home runs. Right. But we're not getting the ball hit into play. We're not getting the running and the fielding that I think makes baseball, to me at least, it's the exciting part of baseball. Interesting. I remember one time on baseball tonight we were discussing what's the most exciting play in baseball. And it was like, you know, you start to overthink it. You're like, well, a hit and run is kind of fun back in the day. You know, a triple obviously was exciting about baseball. And Aaron Boone looked at us. He's like, it's a home run, idiot. <laughs> no, no one's losing their mind over a triple. Right. But a three-run home run, everybody gets up and enjoys a good home run shot. So I'm with you. I like the home runs. Yes. I more contact and more balls in play. What other I've thought of you is all the prospects being called up. I mean, you and I talked about Nate Pearson. Dan Shulman had told me, he's like, wait till this guy comes. You're going to lose your mind. And obviously, it was fun until he got hurt. But Tristan McKenzie, like, I just love watching yeah. him because I go, I, I saw Doc the other day, Dwight Gooden, so it was my favorite pictures as a kid, saying he reminds me of me. And I'm like, 6'1", buck 65. I'm like, Doc, I don't think you were that no. skinny, but he was skinny. And he's fun to watch. And the guy who I really want to get your read on is Casey Mize. So, of course, here's why I love watching him. He throws a splitter. Yes. I rarely see splitters anymore. Yep. I, I loved uh, Kepner's book, Tyler Kepner's book, uh, K, which is an excellent book. Yeah. And it's the story of baseball in 10 pitches. And when you talked about the splitter, I was like, you don't understand. Bruce Suter back in the day, like, I just love the look aesthetically of a splitter. You're going through yep. it, just goes down. So whenever I see Casey Mize, I go, I love this guy just because I don't know how many, like, I'm, I'm, I get annoyed with all the cutters. The cutters are so prevalent. It's ubiquitous. So now I love seeing a good splitter. Casey Mize is one of my favorite pitchers to watch now. Yeah, I love him. Loved him as a prospect. And one of the knocks on him as a prospect was, oh, he throws a split. Yeah. Well, that's – and it's almost like there is a long-standing belief in baseball that the splitter hurts you. Right. And I don't think there's actual evidence. That may be true. I have not seen evidence to actually support that. There are probably some guys who shouldn't throw it, right? There were a couple of guys who got hurt in the 80s. They actually hurt their hands because probably because their hands weren't big enough. Like, I, there's no way. I've tried to demonstrate – I was showing my daughter the other day. She yeah. was watching a game with me. She said, what's a splitter? And I yeah. tried to show her. I'm like, you have to imagine someone with much bigger hands, actually, yeah. to be able to like, to be able to do that and throw it effectively. But what I love about Mize yeah. is he throws the splitter. It's ridiculous. He throws a slider. It's pretty good. He throws the fastball, which is average, maybe a little bit better, but he commands it. So that you have a, yeah. an absolute out pitch in your splitter. Maybe a chance for another out pitch over time with the slider. But you locate the right. fastball too. It's not just stuff. It's not that it, it's not like it's a trick pitch. It's not like he's just blowing guys away. He's actually hitting a lot of his spots. So I think you saw that more in the start over the weekend too, where yeah. the some inherited some runs he bequeathed to the relievers ended up scoring. But you saw from him, it's like, okay, this is the Casey Mize we were expecting. Yeah, Bill Ripken made a great point to me about baseball. This is how simple it is. We play this down the zone, east yep. west, obviously either side, and add and subtract. And most pitchers, if you can just master one of those, you can have a great career. So I said, of yeah. the three, which one do you think is most valuable? Because I would think add subtract. Yeah, that would have been my answer. Yeah. If I could throw a 95 mile fastball and an 85 mile hour changeup, then, then we're good. Yep. And he said, yeah. He said, you know, that's definitely, I think, the most effective approach. But up, down, back in the day, was like old school. Because, again, it was riding fastball or curveball, and the bottom falls out. So Doc Good, yep. Nolan Ryan, Koufax, those guys are up-down guys. In some ways, it's like an up-down guy because that yeah. splitter tumbles down. Well, it's interesting, that, that Ripken observation, too, because so many teams now, uh, particularly with TrackMan data or wherever, yeah, they're getting it from different systems, the StatCast data. Now that we have, right. say, spin rate data on fastballs, and it's a little more than just spin rate, but we'll, we'll use that as a proxy, that they've encouraged more sure. guys to go with four-seamers up. 
and that that's look hitters don't they don't hit that if they hit it at all they don't hit it well and generally they'll chase it I remember seeing Didi in the game last night where Braxton Garrett who I don't actually know how good the spin rate is on his fastball but it was left on left he went up way up with 91 and Didi just cut through it like it was 97 so if you just change eye levels up down up down and Garrett's got a really really if you haven't seen it go watch him yesterday his curveball was really good yeah, other yeah. stuff was his command was shaky he wasn't throwing as hard as usual but Curveball was an out pitch, and then he could go up with the fastball and bury the curveball. Max Fried's been doing that a lot this year, and Mize can do that too. Where I think I feel like this yeah. is what I was the point I was getting to is it's both. He adds and subtracts because, of course, the splitter comes in looking like a fastball, and it's whatever right. seven eight miles an hour less. And the splitter, when he gets it, it's just got this bottom to it, just drops right out of the zone, and he does come up with the fastball. So I. I I don't know what yeah. Bill's mentality is on this, but I would guess if you can do two of those three things that he outlined, right? Yeah. That would probably give you a chance to really be elite. I said, give me a guy who does all three. So Kershaw actually does all three. And maybe Scherzer. I'd have to watch how much Scherzer, like Scherzer's got the pretty nasty change yeah. up. We just don't think of him because you think of Scherzer like, I'm going yeah, to yeah, shove the ball down your throat, down. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I thought of East West, the guy immediately I thought I was glad. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, Javi Lopez was setting up to the zone. They're That's right. Strike I was going to say, yeah. This is ridiculous. West. That's and then East West. Right? Exactly. He's actually like <laughs> off never the map, East. right? Here be dragons. And that's, oh, no, it's a strike <laughs> for Glavid. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you're also a big movie buff. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about movies. Um, sure. You know, first of all, have you gone back to a theater yet? I haven't. I'm not planning on it. Yeah, I, I was texting my brother and he's like, you know, he goes, dude, I, uh, there's no chance. And he's like, I just can't do it. So I said, well, I'm not, I don't want to go to a crowded theater, certainly. He's like, yeah. And I said, but if it's like, you know, as you know, with our hours, working nights, weekends, afternoons, generally, if I'm going to see movies, it's a matinee anyways, which are fairly desolate. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ridgewood, New Jersey is five minutes away. There's a nice little theater there. So I went to go see Tenet and I said, okay, I'm going to see it. And the matinee, hopefully nobody else is right. And I, I go there nice and early. I just want to make sure how many people are actually going to the 430 screening. I should at 2 o'clock. I didn't take one of my kids to baseball. And she's like, oh, there's three tickets sold. I'm like, okay. She's like, what seat would you like? Normally you go dead middle. I'm like, no, as far away. From right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that seat way, way in the back. That's right. I'm not wearing a raincoat. I'm just going to be way in the back. Okay, great. <laughs> so I went in there, and there was no concessions. I'm like, no, I do not want to mask on the whole time. Yep. And I, I would think half an hour in, I was, you know, just kind of itchy kind of thing. Take the mask up for a second. And then I kind of did one of those kind of look around like, oh, no one cares. And I'm like, no, but you, you yeah. should care. It's your duty to do it. So put the mask back on, do it. I look around. Most people did have their masks on. So I saw Tenet, which I'd love to say it was worth a six-month wait, but it was actually something of a disappointment. And I want you to see it because you and my buddy Mike Kiss are the smartest physics and that kind of stuff. So when I'm watching, I'm thinking, man, that Chris Nolan, because he's got all these different theories that I don't understand. And then as my friend Mike has texted me, and I think you'd have the same feeling, he'd say, no, there's like one or two logical holes which the entire movie fall apart on once you point them out. And he said, because it's like a movie where it's just, there's so much exposition. Okay, now do this, then that will happen. Well, the, the, the whole space-time, it's back in the future. The oh, space-time yeah. continuum is predicated on this. Oh, then inversion therapy means this. So it's not a fun movie when someone's telling you what's about to happen, then go do this. Right? It's one thing if the mission is, you know, this is your mission if you choose to accept it, Keith. But it's to say, what happened there? Oh, well, the car went backwards because of this, blah, 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 physics stuff. So it's a long way of saying it was six-month theater. <laughs> I wish Tenet had lived up to the hype. It didn't. <laughs> but, but now I'll be wary. Now, in the past, as you know, I, I'm an inveterate moviegoer. I'd go every week if I could. And now I'm, you know what? 
I'll probably hold off. And screener season is coming soon anyway. So very lucky. I'm part of the BFCA, which is the Broadcast Film Critics Association. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I should get a lot of screeners sent to me. So I should be lucky. And, and this is the thing. Before you'd say, oh, there's a big event movie. I want to go see the big crowd. Now there's with as few pieces as possible. Yeah, if there's like a 10, I'm not going back to a theater anytime soon, but I happen to live, I could bike to a the uh, you know, major movie theater here. You yeah. know what? If there were a 10.30 a.m. screening and I could look online and it's like, there's literally nobody in the theater, I, I might actually consider that. I haven't even looked at this point because everyone's telling me Tenet is not. It's, it's just okay or it's incomprehensible. And like, yes, yes. Okay, I'm still befuddled. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that can wait. That can absolutely wait. But I was thinking with a lot of the movies that you and I like, these foreign films, like yeah. those may be pretty dead. So those may be ones we can check out right. at one o'clock and feel comfortable. Yeah, that's why. So that's where I was going to ask you. I don't know how much you followed, but now that we're at least starting to get some of the film festivals, I think Toronto is happening in a limited format. Venice did happen, I'm pretty sure. Have you heard about any of the movies that are coming? that you're particularly excited about because there, there are a couple I've heard of, but I'm usually a little bit behind. I, I wait for like you or, or my friends, uh, Will Leach and Tim Grierson or Christine Meyer. Like you guys tell me what I should be excited about and then I'll put them on the calendar. Oh, watch for this one to come out. Yeah. Christy's great, by the way. I love her. Um, definitely has a movie called Nomadland, which I can't wait to see. Francis McDormand is in it. David Strathairn is in it. That just premiered and it's getting huge Oscar buzz. Uh, that actually won the Golden Line at the Venice Film Festival. So that's the equivalent of Best Picture, as you know. So Nomad Land, Chloe Zhao, the director. I can't wait for that. I'm looking forward to, uh, I believe it's the, called The Trial of the Sakaka 7. It's Aaron Sorkin's new movie. Now, just, mm-hmm. At times, I think he's brilliant. At times, I think he's bloviating. Yeah. But I do like to catch <laughs> and he's got a lot of He's got a lot of actors in it. And it's an interesting time capsule of uh, a part of American history where people were fighting around morality and McCarthyism and that kind of stuff. So that has some appeal for me. Um, and there's one movie called One Night in Miami, I believe is the title. Regina King, Academy Award winning actress. Yes, she was, yes. She was in Watchmen. Again, it's part of American history that I find fascinating. It's about Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X and Sam Cooke and them colluding together, talking about civil rights in 1964 and what it would be like to be a fly on the wall, to be with some of the most impactful leaders of that era, particularly for the black community. And the fact that it's a black director and an actress of note, I do, uh, I haven't heard any reviews yet, but I, I saw that she was involved, and I saw the actors, and I said, okay, One Night Miami is something I could be looking forward to. But as you said, all the Oscar baits are going to come out soon. Uh, Mank is another one I'm looking forward to. David Fincher's film, it's about Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Again, guys like you and me who love old Hollywood and movies about movies. Yeah, Fincher's going to appreciate a great screenwriter. Yeah, exactly. He's a great director. Yeah, that's it's the Regina King one I just saw. Somebody said out of, they'd seen it at one of the festivals, and just raved yeah. and raved and raved, and it's an Amazon Studio release. And then I go to look, and there's nothing. There's no information. Like, is it going to go to theaters? Is it going to come to streaming? Amazon, you know, obviously a pretty big streaming platform. Just tell yeah. me when this stuff is coming. I want to see these. Like, take my money. I am actually here <laughs> telling you. I won't pay $30 for Mulan. That's a little ridiculous, but. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Somebody else mentioned that to me. I said, listen, I understand the theory. Okay, it's you and your girlfriend and daughter. So that would be $12 each, 36 Okay, fine. I'm like, but no, $30 for a film? Like, there's no chance. You're like, this is where I get frustrated. I said, listen, movies already have enough of a challenge to overcome all the streaming options available. You're putting yourself at 30. Yeah. That's, that's a terrible idea. If, if you can't recoup the money, well, then figure it out. Either just put it in theaters as Tenet is. They're doing well worldwide. Then it's not doing very well domestically. But worldwide, they're up to $200 million, So I think Chris Nolan will be okay. Same pretty bucks is just absurd. I couldn't do it. Now, if, I also wonder, I mean, this might be a little inside baseball for folks, but like, and we'll never know, right? We won't know how much they actually sold. They don't have to tell us. 
They can yeah. you know, they can certainly play some accounting games and sort of, oh, we made this much money on it. I just saw that and I thought, you know what? If it was 10 bucks, a lot of people would have just paid it. We might have just paid it. Just, you know, yeah. I'm outnumbered by women in, <laughs> and girls in the house. Uh, I could easily have been overruled. I have to say, I thought the trailer looked good. The reviews have been generally yeah. positive, not outstanding. Yeah. Like for, the, for us to sit down and watch, um, would I have paid 10 bucks? We already have Disney Plus. Would I have paid 10 bucks? Yeah, I probably would have. I right. wouldn't have thought. The problem with $30 even though I understand the argument, you would have paid more than that to go see this in the theater, is that it made me stop. Uh, all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. That's a lot of money for all of us to sit, right? As opposed to, yeah. the, oh, we, first of all, Disney Plus itself has a billion movies, and we have HBO Max, which right. has all the Studio Ghibli movies from uh, Miyazaki, which um, I've seen a lot of them. Oh, yeah. My daughter's seen a good chunk of them, but my partner and her kids had seen very few. Now they are, oh, they're obsessed. Spirited way. One of them asked the other day. Spirit, yeah. yeah, they loved Totoro. They loved Kiki's Livery Service. They loved. They really loved Ponyo. It actually, surprised me how much because they thought that plot was a little more complicated. Yeah. But one, the older one, asked me the other day, like, "Are there any more movies like that?" I said, "Oh yes, there's like 20 more movies <laughs> like that." So now I'm just trying to curate them, right? Yeah. So what's age appropriate for everybody? Like we have options. Yes. We have lots of options. You have to do more to sell me on shelling out. Certainly, try to sell me on going to the theaters. I'm not taking the kids to the theaters, yeah. for sure. But even to sell me on shelling out thirty dollars, you'd have to make much more of a case. Whereas I think we're at a point where if you say ten bucks, I'd be like, all right, that's fine. Yeah, you know, a ten bucks to entertain everybody for two hours, and and it's brand new and it's exciting, and there are some. Po- I understand some controversy around the film. There's some positives around the film. Yeah, like yeah, I probably would have just done that. But I felt like thirty was a price point that just made me say. Yeah, maybe I, I should think. I, I'm not a gambler. That number definitely perks up. I don't care how much you make. That's a lot of money. Like I said, for two hours of entertainment, that seems foolish. The one of the movie I wanted to mention to you is I'm thinking of ending things. Netflix. So this yeah, is. A, have you watched it? Yeah, this is an early frontrunner for the Love It or Love It movie of 2020. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm extremely fortunate because I read the book and it's a terrific book by a guy named Ian Reid, who's a Canadian author. So I actually mm-hmm. interviewed him once and I said, "Were you happy with the adaptation?" He said, "Yeah." He goes, "I was floored when when Charlie called me. So I'm making this into a movie, and here's what we're gonna do." And and he didn't really involve him. He just said, listen, I'm using your book and my own spin of it. I have the essence of the story, et cetera. So I, I really like the movie, but I think I'm helped, of course, by the fact I knew the book and what's going to happen. I couldn't imagine going in blind to that movie because I've had a couple of friends text me and go, what, WTF? Like, I, I, I understand it's very somber and morose, and I like the performance. I like Kaufman's work. He's very original, but I have no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah. So I'm curious to check it out. Oh, I am, because I like Charlie Kaufman. I thought yeah. Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind might be my all-time favorite movie. It's definitely up there. And oh, yeah. Anomalisa, the animated one, it was like yeah. a stage play. That's amazing. That is absolutely yeah. amazing. It's one of the best films, one of the best works of art I've ever seen about depression um, with a with oh, a particular my. gimmick to it um, that I won't spoil for folks who haven't seen it. But certainly if you have any yeah. kind of knowledge of mental health, of mental illness, especially depression, the way that they that he chooses to depict it is absolutely amazing. Um, and I feel like it was kind of underseen, right? Because it's a, an animated film, but it's clearly for adults. It's very for adults right. in some spots. A little oh yeah, comfortably you so. see, you see. <laughs> well, they start having yes, sex. right. Like, it's like okay, okay. I was right. This could have been an audiobook, right? I was much better with the <laughs> right. This is puppet sex. Okay, sure. Um, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned your podcast. So your podcast, Cinephile, is back, yeah. right? It's been back for a while now. Where can people check it out? Yeah, go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we have a blast talking about the newest releases, but also going back at old movies as well. I just watched The Usual Suspects again, 25th anniversary of that. It makes me think about 
Because I remember my English teacher, Mrs. Fenton, was very cocky about the fact that she knew the ending. And I said, well, of course you did. And she said, well, if you've read a lot of Agatha Christie books, you would know that the unreliable narrator is, of course, going to be the villain. And I said, well, that sounds rather pompous, but maybe that is yeah. true. It was fun watching it again because my wife had actually never seen it. She goes, oh, I know Kevin Spacey's Kaiser Sozo. I'm like, yeah. But she'd never seen it. She goes, well, listen, I think the ending makes it. Because aside from the ending, I thought it was a good crime thriller. I didn't think it was anything special. The ending is spectacular and iconic it made me think about i think we're gonna do it on cinephile greatest plot twist of all time because off the top of my head psycho is pretty brilliant um i think chinatown's pretty great with the incest uh storyline no chinatown's amazing obviously the director is canceled but the, <laughs> right, that exactly. movie has, i don't i don't want to support roman polanski but that's a hell of a twist did not see that coming. the movie is absolutely incredible one of the best neo-noir movies maybe the best i depending on how you categorize yeah. that movie is amazing and he's a hell of a plot yeah. twist. Absolutely. Yeah. But like for you, if you thought of a movie with a great plot twist that punched you in the face, The Sixth Sense is obviously one people remember. I mean, those are, I, I, I run away, I thought Psycho Chinatown, Usual Suspects. Like those are a few that kind of get my brain percolating where you actually literally go, oh my God, I did not see that. Guy. Yeah. Psycho is, Psycho is great because the, the twist is early and the movie yeah. is simply not what you thought it was going to be. That's what I love about right. Psycho. And I don't actually love the movie. Like if you ask me to rank Hitchcock's, it's not that hot. Sure. Um, yeah. The couple that come to mind, there's the original Spanish movie called Nueve Reinas. It was remade in English as Nine Queens. The, the remake is not good. But the, the original, oh, yeah. it's a classic heist movie. I didn't see the ending coming. Um, it's very, like, it's tight. It's quick. It's kind of witty. It's the way the good heist movies should be. The other is David Mamet's The Spanish Prisoner. Oh, I love that movie. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So I hadn't seen it in a long time. Uh -huh. I happened to stumble upon it. Like you, I've got all these channels, and I don't even know what to do with them, streaming services. And I go, oh, my gosh, Spanish Prisoner. But I hadn't seen it in so long. I love that line because no one ever looks twice at a Japanese tourist. Mm -hmm. That is so well written. Yes. And that was like play Mammoth channeling Hitchcock, Innocent Man Gone Wrong, Steve Martin, Born to Play a Mammoth Man. Oh, my God. I mean, that yeah. scene, oh, he's so duplicitous. I mean, that scene where they have the big rooms, he's in a way over his head. Yes. Uh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Spanish Prisoners is a great film. How about, um, I, this is on my mind because I just interviewed Chuck Palahniuk for a, a book signing event, but how about Fight Club? Yeah. That's a great twist. I remember I liked it at the time, but maybe I how much of the zeitgeist it was. Like maybe it was just overpowering in some ways how pungent it was, how visceral it was, yeah. tapping into the male violence. I remember when they made the film, they said, who the hell is going to want to watch this? They go, guys don't want to see Brad Pitt with the shirt off. That makes them uncomfortable. Who's this guy with an eight-pack? And girls don't want to see him get his ass kicked. Who is this movie being marketed for? And meantime, meantime, Brad Pitt's and he's sitting with Edward Norton and uh, the scene where <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter as Marlis is yeah. start erupting in laughter. And Brad Pitt goes, I'm never going to make a better movie than this. Yeah. That is one – I haven't read the book, actually. Um, the book is on its way to me uh, right now. But uh, yeah. in the movie, if you watch carefully, there's a ton of clues of what the twist yeah. – let's say the twist. I'm assuming a lot of people sure. have seen this. But there are a ton of clues leading up to it. And if you actually – it's it's one that rewards a rewatch because the second time through, you know what the twist is. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh. He was dropping clues left and right. And still, obviously, yeah. a lot of people didn't get it because I think – I think it's a testament to how much you just get caught up in this very bizarre and incredibly disturbing plot. And I had just read Paul Anik's newest book, The Invention of Sound, so I could interview him. And it's like, no, that's just kind of him. Like, he's very comfortable living in the darkest side of humanity. 
What's the oh choke? choke I, I haven't the seen book that I read about sex addiction. <laughs> what a disturbing yes. book. I, mean, <laughs> I admire somebody who can really tap into right? their brains it's, and just get the darkest recesses yeah, of their like minds. Yeah, it's like McCarthy, and and it's like people are like, oh no, he's a perfectly nice guy. I'm like, really? Because I don't want to. <laughs> certainly, don't want to have tea with him. Yeah, have you have you read yeah. the road? I remember the the, the prose where they talk about. I'll never forget. Babies being barbecued. I'm like, what? yeah, okay. Yes. I right? I don't want to see this adapted into a movie. I'm good. Oh, yeah. I have never, I read the book. The book is amazing. I have not seen the movie. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, the movie didn't exist. It was simply unfilmable, and we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I like Adnan, it. thanks so much for joining me. This is great to get together again. Of course, Keith. I wish we could do this uh, in person as, at a socially distanced place. I'm glad we have the miracle <laughs> of technology and Zoom. And I look forward to you seeing. I think critique it, if not a scathing manner, but you're going to point out a couple of things that will blow your mind. I look forward to it. I will see it yeah. at some point, preferably in my house. <laughs> it sounds good. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay safe, everybody, and wear your masks. Before I sign off, though, I do want to mention that uh, we lost one of our own in the baseball community this weekend. Charles Peterson, who's an area scout for the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, former first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Pirates, played about seven or eight years in their system, played uh, about the same amount of time in independent ball, and had been a scout for the Cardinals ever since he retired. Uh, originally, he was in the upper Midwest and then went back home to where he was from. He covered South Carolina, Georgia, and North Florida. He was also the signing scout for the Cardinals' first round pick this year in Jordan Walker. I knew Charles uh, reasonably well. I'd seen him multiple times at games. We used to talk multiple times a year. Uh, he was a wonderful guy. He was very generous with his time. And he died of complications from COVID-19. And I am sad and grieving, uh, especially for his family. He was a wife. Uh, and uh, I know he's very proud of his son, Trey, who's a college athlete right now. Obviously, his family suffered a great loss. I'm also just very angry. This didn't have to happen. This did, we crossed 200,000 deaths as a country. And we didn't need to be here. None of this needed to happen. And to see, especially in South Carolina, a state that fought closing, they didn't lock down until the beginning of April, and they couldn't reopen fast enough. They started to reopen the state May 11th, well ahead of what scientists and experts advised. And it is hard for me to see all of this and not think that Charles didn't have to die of this. Countless people, especially in the, in the South, in the Midwest, continue to die because uh, the people we trusted to take care of us and to make the right decisions for us have failed us time and again. Charles, we'll miss you terribly. I want to offer my condolences to his family and to all his friends around baseball and especially to his colleagues with the St. Louis Cardinals. That's Charles Peterson. He died of COVID-19 complications. He was 46 years old.